you today um, to share uh, a message, and the term has already been used actually several times today, uh, but I want to uh, share a message that's, that's entitled as Remarkable Compassion. Compassion is a term that we've already sang and spoken and read several times this morning. Um, but just so we're all on the same page right out the gate, let me tell you, let me actually kind of break down what that means, that word compassion. So if you look at the word compassion, you actually break it down into two. You have calm and then you have passion. Um, the word passion means to suffer, and then calm, C-O-M, means with. So compassion actually means to suffer with. It's not just to acknowledge someone's suffering. It's not just to you know feel bad that someone's struggling. Um, it, it's actually to enter into someone's suffering. And um, this message, I think, is really near to the heart of God because it's near the heart of God. It's near, near to the heart of Drew and Shannon and this church. Um, and, and this right here is something that's really near to the heart of God, right? Um, and we know that. We, if you open up the scriptures, we know God loves every person on this planet, right? For God so loved the world, right? He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance, right? Um, we know that God loves every person on the planet. And yet, if you open up the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, you read from beginning to the end, it is clear, as, as Drew just was reading a moment ago, there is clear that there are some people that have a special place in God's heart. There, there are some people that seem to, to kind of make the top of God's list. Um, and it's the orphan, and it's the widow, it's those who are poor, it's those who are sojourners, right? In our terms today, it's the, the immigrant, right? The orphan, the widow, the poor, the immigrant. Um, they have a special place in God's heart. And if you look at Psalm 82, do we have that, Chris? <laughs> Psalm 82, verse 3 and 4, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Like, this is literally one of dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures all throughout the Bible, beginning to the end, that makes absolutely clear what God's heart is towards those who are vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the poor, the immigrant. In other words, those who are far from, uh, um, those who have uh, suffered great loss, those who are far from home, those who are um, vulnerable, those who are in need. This is God's heart. And because this is a defining characteristic of God, this has been a defining characteristic of God's people all the way since the very beginning. Uh, in fact, did you know that the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the Christian movement? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's awesome. Which, by the way, this, the, the, the baby cooing and stuff is like perfect soundtrack. <laughs> so keep it going. If you fall asleep, just kind of wake them up a little bit. Um, uh, it's so cute, actually. Could, yeah. But um, yeah, isn't that cool, though? I mean, the first known hospital in every nation, every country across the world started by the Christian church. And that's, that's incredible to me. Uh, if, if you look at education reform, if you look at women's rights, if you look at the abolition of slavery, civil rights, of course, they all trace their roots back to the people of God. Like, that's our legacy. And the same is true with adoption. There are actually written accounts of an old Roman practice how when a child would be born into a family, oftentimes they would, they would, be, they would do this ritual where the child would be placed down at the feet of its Father, and if the father stooped down in this ritual and picked up the child into his arms, the child was said to have been like legitimized and then welcomed into the family, which is pretty beautiful. Except for sometimes the father didn't stoop down and pick up the child. Like sometimes it was whether it was because the baby looked sick or weak or frail, if the baby wasn't the preferred gender of the day, um, for whatever reason, sometimes the father wouldn't pick up the child. Instead, what would happen is they'd take this kid outside of the city to a designated place where he'd be left alone to die. 
from wild animals or from starvation or from the elements. But it was the early Christian church, it was the early followers of Jesus that would go out to these designated places and they would rescue these children and they would bring them into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. And it was the early Christian church that put pressure on the Roman government to outlaw that practice. Like, that's our legacy as, as the church, as, as God's people. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. Man, it's awesome. Yeah. The, the same is true with foster care. Uh, there's a guy named Charles Loring Brace. Uh, Charles Brace was born in the 19th century in the northeastern part of the U.S. And uh, he, his parents were followers of Jesus. When he was at a, a young age, Charles placed his faith in Christ as well. And one day he was sitting in church on a Sunday morning, just like you are today, listening to a message from a pastor like you are today, um, and he heard something, the pastor said something that just radically pierced his heart, just like I did with you a moment ago. I'm kidding, if I don't. Um, <laughs> um, but the pastor, the pastor said something that just was like, the defining, it became a defining moment for Charles. And this is basically what he said. I'm going to paraphrase here. Okay? Um, he said, you know, when you think about it, when we consider all of the grace and the love and the mercy and the compassion of God that, that he has poured out onto us in our times of need, in our brokenness, in our hurting. When we consider all that God has done for us, when we see those who are hurting around us, it's impossible for us to believe that we don't have at least some level of responsibility to do something. I'm going to say that again. When we, when we consider all of the just extravagant grace and love and mercy and compassion that God has poured out on us in our times of need, when we see those in need around us, it's impossible for us to believe that we don't have at least some level of responsibility to do something. And so that, it made sense to Charles. And it just, again, it pierced his heart. And so a few years would go by, and Charles uh, was in New York City, and he was uh, in seminary, he was studying to become a pastor. And one day he took a walk through the city, and he walked into a neighborhood called Five Points. And some of you are familiar with that neighborhood. Five Points at that time was known for its crime, it's poverty, it's prostitution, it's gang violence. And as he walked into the neighborhood, he said that his heart melted with what he saw. Because what he saw were hundreds of children living in these dangerous, unhealthy, unstable environments. Living on the street. And so he, he, as he saw what he saw, he said that his mind raced back to what his pastor had said those years before. And he realized in light of all that God had done for him, when he was living in a broken environment, when he was living broken and hurting and in need, he had... He had at least he had to do something with what he was seeing in front of him. And so he did. At the age of 27, Charles rallied some of his buddies together, and they started what they called the Children's Aid Society, which is still going on today, by the way. Uh, the Children's Aid Society started all kinds of programs that dealt like at a systemic level, a root level, of what they were seeing in front of them. So, for example, they started the first free school lunch programs. They started the first free dental clinics for kids. Uh, they started schools for children who are disabled. They started the first ever uh, Parent Teachers Association. So PTA started with the, uh, the Children's Aid Society. Most notably, though, they started what we now call modern foster care. So they would help these kids who are living in these unhealthy, broken environments find loving, stable homes while their parents did what they needed to do to create healthy environments again. And then once again, they were reconciled. They were reunified. What morphed and evolved from there became what we now call in America modern foster care. So follow me. Like Foster care in America was started by a pastor. It was started by a Christian. 
with the motivation that in light of all that God has done for us in our times of need, surely we can do the same for someone around us. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. That is incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked to be here today with you to share that we have this, like this is our, that's our legacy. Like that's the torch that has been carried before us. We have the opportunity in our day, in our generation, in the Bay Area to carry on that same torch. Uh, my wife and I started fostering, uh, like, I need to do the math on this sometime, but it's been about five years, four or five years. Uh, and um, at the time that we started, I was pastoring a, a church in San Jose, a small church. And um, if, you, if you're familiar at all with foster care, kids sometimes need to be removed from their biological families, most often because of abuse or neglect. And so these kids were coming into our homes. My wife and I started fostering. These kids started coming into our homes, and they've been through stuff that nobody should go through, especially children. And it broke our hearts. And uh, as, as we started welcoming these kids into our home, we just started to have conversation with other leaders in our church and said, gosh, what would it look like if as a, as a church community we were to engage kids in the foster care system? So not just our home, another home, but like what if as a, as a church community, what if we were laser focused on that as a community, we we're going to engage what we believed was the most vulnerable population in the Bay Area. And so, um, and so we did, this is back in 2015. So we stood before the church and we cast this vision and, and we talked about how, how much this lines up with the gospel and how this is a great reflection of the gospel and, and what this would show to a watching world. And we said, we're going to do these different things. We're going to do some events for, kid, for, for families in foster care. We're going to come up with some donations for kids entering into care. And then we said, what if, as a church, what if this year, in 2015, what if we were to set a goal that maybe there'd be one more family that would open up their home to a child in foster care? Which, that was a monumental ask. Um, you might think, gosh, only one family. It's not like you're asking people to give 30 bucks a month to a child across the world. This isn't a 30 bucks a month commitment. This is a life-changing, world-altering decision. And so I remember, if I'm like totally frank with you, totally honest with you, I remember sharing this with a church about 100 people. I remember like, when you're a pastor of a smaller church, you know everybody in the congregation. So I'm like, the first two, we're going to knock those two out of the park. This third one, I'm like, two out of three is not bad because I'm like, we're not getting that third one. I just, you totally like, uh, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Like, I just totally disqualified everybody in my mind. So I'm like, we'll just cast a vision. We're not actually going to do it. But um, can I tell you what happened? So what happened was we cast this vision. Some social workers here in the Bay Area heard about what we were trying to do, and they came out and met with us, and they said, hey, we, we just want you to know, like, we think this is kind of cool, and we're happy to partner with your church, Twin Oaks Church. We're happy to partner with Twin Oaks Church in, in doing this. Um, they said, but here's the deal. They said the crisis that we're experiencing right now in the foster care system in the Bay Area, it's just bigger than your church. It's bigger than any one church. They said, do you think that there might be other churches that might consider doing the very same thing? Uh, the term she used is, would you guys consider spearheading a faith alliance? To which we said, well, what, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what, is, what, do you, what do you mean by faith alliance? And she said, well, honestly, she's like, events are great. We need that. Donations are great. We need that. Said, but, the, but the reality, she said, what we really need are homes for these children. She said, there are more kids entering into foster care in the Bay Area than there are homes that are ready to care for them. And what's happening is these kids, because there's not enough families that are ready to care for them when they enter into the foster care system, they're being displaced from their city and their counties into other parts of California, in some cases even other parts of the United States, and it's adding trauma upon trauma. Because now they're not just being removed from their families, but they're being removed from their schools and their teachers and their counselors and their sports teams and their extended family. Everything that is safe and secure and stable for them is being ripped from them because there's not enough homes. Long story short, obviously we said yes, and that's why I'm standing here today. 
Can I tell you why we said yes? One of the reasons we said yes. We, we shared this with her. We said, you know, one of the, um, the, the, the truest, the deepest part of who I am is I am a follower of Jesus. And part of what that means is it means listening well to what Jesus has to say to us and then trying to honor his commands. And one of his most fundamental commands to us is to love our neighbor. And it breaks my heart that these are kids from my neighborhoods and my streets, my city, and some other person in some other part of California or some other part of the country is having to love my neighbor. Like there's something fundamentally broken about that, isn't there? And so we ended up saying yes, and we, we started this faith alliance, as she called it, to, to raise up enough homes for every kid in foster care. And, and we call it Foster the Bay. And um, I, I have to tell you, it has been, and I say this with absolute sincerity and honesty, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way the Bay Area Church has responded to children in need in the Bay Area. The way, the way that Pastor Drew and, and his family and the way that they have in, invited us in and been like absolutely open arms and he's been introducing us to other pastors and the only way he can to leverage his influence and his network, like it's just been unbelievable to watch the way that the Bay Area Church has responded. So now we went from back in the fall of 2015 when we started this Faith Alliance, you know, we had this one church and then it went to six churches and then 13 and today there's 86 churches in the Bay Area that are allied together as a coalition saying we're going to make sure that every single child in foster care has a loving, stable home where they can experience the love and the healing of God. Isn't that awesome? I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to be here, and I'm stoked that Santa Cruz Baptist is, is, is a part of this, and it's going to be able to move this forward right here in Santa Cruz County. Um, when we started Foster the Bay, uh, we, we started with like these three core beliefs that were going to shape who we were and how we were going to move forward. Okay, And I want to share those three things with you. Um, before, uh, with the remaining time, which I never even asked how long I have. <laughs> I hope you all have brought a sack lunch or something. <laughs> that wasn't my intro, I promise. We're, 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 bad. we're getting there. Um, all right, so um, here's the deal, though. Before we jump into those three like core beliefs that really shape who we are, I want, I want to say this. Um, like, foster care is not for everybody. So I don't, I don't stand here today with that assumption that every single one of you are going to open up your homes, okay? Remarkable compassion is, though. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called into a life of remarkable compassion. That's not up for debate, okay? That's, that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion. Therefore, as his followers, we live lives of remarkable compassion. Foster care is one expression of that. Just one. There, there, there are a thousand other expressions of that. Some of you are called into this. Some of you are called to something else. But regardless, you are called into a life of remarkable compassion. The three things I'm about to share with you that really undergird what we're doing with Foster the Bay and what we're doing with foster care, I believe can be the foundation, though, of any expression of remarkable compassion. So even if God is calling you into a different expression, I, think, I still think that these three things can be meaningful to you, which basically means don't be like, this is not like, I'm going to go check my newsfeed now because this doesn't apply to me. Okay, so stay with me. All right. The first four belief that, that really like shapes who we are and, and what we're doing is, is this belief that every person has intrinsic value. Every person has intrinsic value. Okay, uh, so we've, we've already said, said it this morning, right? We were made in the image of God. We were created in the image of the living God of the universe. Ephesians 1 says that um, God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a moment. He spoke you and me forth, and every child in the kids' ministry, he spoke, he spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. That means that that physical 
that that moment of conception, when your mom and your dad came together in that physical act that puts you into being, it's disgusting to think about, but just stay with me, right? So like that moment when you were conceived, right, that was secondary. What came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God before the foundation of the world, before the world began. And that's true of every man, woman, and child in the Bay Area. Right? God, God spoke us forth and before the foundation of the world. In, in the book of Isaiah, it goes on to say that we are precious to God in his sight. Every person has intrinsic value. We are loved and we are valued by God. I think that's beautiful. Uh, I, have a, I have a buddy who is a foster dad, um, and he tells a story about when he got a call for a, a, a child who needed a placement. And they were wondering, you know, could, could, they, could, could he take him into his home? And, and he, he was on the phone. He said, well, I've, I've already got kids in the home at the, at the time. Like, is there any... You know, can you tell me anything about this kid? I want to make sure that this is an appropriate fit for my family. And so they said, well, we don't know too much about him yet. We, we do know, uh, they said, we do know one thing about him, though. They said, he's new to the system. We've already discovered one thing. He's a biter. So, they said, so he's like, well, uh, what does that mean? Like, what does he bite? <laughs> and so he said he thought to himself, I'm not sure I want to take in a biter. He said as soon as that thought hit him, though, all of his theology started flooding back into his mind. And he said, I, I realized that the, that the term biter was an incomplete description of a child. The term biter is an inadequate description of a human being. He said, you know why? It's because I realized, he said, that, that, the, that you are more than the worst thing you've ever done. And you're more than the worst thing that's ever been done to you. Which, by the way, you might, need to, you might need to be reminded of that truth just for you this morning. I'll just say it again because I think it's worth repeating. You're more than the worst thing you've ever done. And you're more than the worst thing that's been done to you. Okay, you're valuable to God. You matter to God. Every person has intrinsic value. You know, God proved that, didn't he? How, how, do we, how do we know the value of something? How do we determine what something is worth? You determine what something is worth by what somebody's willing to pay for Right? And what was God willing to pay for us? That God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. We, we matter to God. And that brings me to our second core belief. Um, every, every person has intrinsic value. Every man, woman, and vulnerable child in the Bay Area has intrinsic value. And secondly, our belief is that their story is our story. Their story is our story. Their story is my story. Um, I might be a little bit biased here, but I, I, there may be no time in your life when you are more godly or more like God than in the moments when you open up your heart or your home to someone who's in need. And I say that because that's exactly what God did for us, right? Like there was a time in my life when I was lost and I was hurting and I felt absolutely alone and beat up. And I thought that because of all of the wounds and the scars from my past that I've lost any hope for my future. Has anybody else been there? But when I was at my lowest and my darkest place, when I thought all hope was gone, God came near to me. And he welcomed me into his family. And when I think about the grace and the love and the mercy of God and what he's done for me, doesn't it just make you want to do that for somebody else? When you think about the way God has so extravagantly loved me, doesn't it make you just want to show that same love to someone? There's a verse, Ephesians 1, 5. We, we, we are going to get there. <laughs> Ephesians 1, verse 5 says this. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Uh, this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Um, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. It's, it's something he wanted to do. This wasn't plan B. It wasn't plan C. It wasn't plan D. We didn't put him up against a wall and force him into it. Uh, this, this, in advance, he decided he was going to welcome us into his family. It was his plan. It's what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Let me just say this. I don't know everybody here today. There may be some of you here who are maybe you're new to all of this. You're just kind of checking this out. And, and you're, you've been actually, you're, you're trying to figure out who is this Jesus? What is Christianity all about? And you're even, this is what's been going through your mind. Even if there is a God, if there is a God out there, would he even want somebody like me? After all the things I've done, all the places I've been, over and over and over and over again, the mistakes that I continue to make, would he even want somebody like me? I hope that you will see and believe the truth of what God says in his word it would bring him, it, he would, it would bring him great pleasure to welcome you into his family. It's what he wants to do. He wants to bring you in his family and it would bring him joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. On a finite scale, I kind of resonate just a little bit with this verse. As a foster dad, I get the joy and the pleasure of bringing young kids into our home. And over the last five years, I wish I could just help, help you understand some of the, 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 the laughter and the memories and the fun and the joy that these kids have brought into my family. It's been so fun. We're been, we've been fostering this one for like two and a half years. We got her when she was two months old. She is like the funniest little kid. She's also two years old, so she's crazy right now. But, she, but it has been, she's brought so much joy and laughter into our home. I wish I could show you her picture, show you some videos. I can't because of privacy laws. Just take my word for it. Picture the cutest little two-year-old that you have and, and like double it. Um, it. It has been so much fun welcoming these kids in our home. And I just love to think that perhaps God sees us in the same way, that it would actually, he actually finds pleasure in welcoming us into his family. And yet at the same time, God bringing us into his family not only brought him pleasure, it also came with something else, didn't it? It's for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was joy, but there was also a cross. And in the same way, when you and I show remarkable compassion, there will always, always, always be a cost involved. There will always be a cross. When, um, when people find out that my wife and I foster, uh, we often will get the same comments. They'll often say, oh, man, that's so cool that you guys do that. That's so great. I could never do that. That's what they, all, they, they say that all the time. I could never do that. Uh, they say, isn't that hard? Isn't it hard to like have kids come into your home and because some of them came from trauma or from different backgrounds, like they, they come in with some challenging behaviors and the, the honest truth is yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There have been seasons in my house where it's felt like hell because of the chaos and the turmoil. It's hard. It's not for the faint of heart. And the word they'll say, isn't it hard to welcome kids into your home and you fall in love with them and they're with you for months or years and, uh, and then one day after, like, they become, like, a part of your family, a sister to your kids, or brother to your kids. Like, they become part of your family, and then they just come, and the social worker comes and picks them up and takes them either back home or on to somewhere else. Like, isn't that hard? Isn't it, isn't it difficult to fall in love with a child just to have them go away? Can I tell you the answer to that? Yes. It's hard. <laughs> Absolutely. It rips your heart out. Every time. The first little one that we got, she was four months old. 
We had her for about a year, um, just about Asher's age, just, just a little older than Asher. Um, we got her at four months old, and uh, we had her for about a year, and we, uh, we fell in love with this little girl. She's a beautiful little girl. Uh, we, because of the age that she was at, like she had all these incredible milestones with us. So she, she took her first steps in our living room. Um, she said her first words with us. She called me Dada. That was her first word. She called my wife Mama. That's what she heard my biological kids calling us. So that's what she called us. Okay, she became a sister to my kids. Um, over that year, we just fell in love with her. She was a part of our family. At the same time, throughout that year, that we were getting to know her biological parents. And the reality is, is that her, her parents had made some mistakes. There was a reason why their daughter was with us. But they were doing everything that they possibly could, taking all the right steps to get their little girl back. And so after about a year, the judge gave the thumbs up. He gave the green light and said, okay, it's time. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her father at my front door. And my son, my oldest son told me it was the first time he'd ever seen me cry. Because we wept that day. And then the next day. Of course it hurts. But you don't show compassion because it makes you feel good. Right? Because compassion is not about you. I have a friend who says you don't, you don't foster to get a child for your family. You foster to give your family to a child. See the difference? That's true with every expression of compassion. You don't show compassion to get something for yourself. You show compassion to give yourself to something. Um, and then, then people sometimes will say, well, what about your kids? I have, so I have three biological kids. Right now they're 11, 7, and 5. And uh, people will ask us, like, well, what about your kids? Like, it's all well and good for you to, like, make peace with the fact, like, to reason through all of this and kind of, uh, you know, make peace with the sacrifices you guys are making, but what about when showing compassion to others actually impacts your children? And I really wrestled with that. When my wife and I were going through the, the, the licensing process to become foster parents, we said, what is this gonna do to our own kids? And um, I, I wrestled with it up until I, I heard something from a friend of mine, he shared this, and, and this completely changed my perspective. He said, um, he said, you know, as a dad, my job is to take care of my kids. It's to, to care well for my children. Um, to make sure they're safe, to make sure that they're, they're being raised well. He said, but my job as a dad is not necessarily to ensure that my kids lead a carefree, comfort-filled life. That's not my job. He said, in fact, as a Christian dad, my highest level of responsibility is to raise my kids to live like Jesus. Amen. That's my highest responsibility as a Christian father. He said, so now as a foster family, every day, my kids get to experience what it is to show compassion to others, to show unconditional love, to show patience, to show forgiveness. Um, it is hard. I wasn't the only one weeping <laughs> that day when we, had, when we handed off that little girl to her back to her dad. My kids were crying. It was, it's hard. Um, but you know, the reason why I'm standing here today, why my family's doing what we're doing today, is because I grew up with my parents foster. Um, I'm actually, we're actually third generation foster parents in Santa Clara County. And uh, I, could, I could honestly, I could tell you stories, I won't tell you stories, but I, uh, I don't think I have time, but um, I could tell you stories of some of the difficult things that I experienced growing up having foster brothers and sisters coming in and out of the home. Four of my brothers were adopted from foster care. Um, some of my most traumatic experiences as a child growing up was watching the realities of some of that. And yet, if I'm totally honest, 
for every one difficult experience that I, I witnessed and experienced growing up with foster brothers and sisters, there's 99 other experiences of me watching my parents just show this like relentless compassion, relentless love towards those who are near to the heart of God. So much so that even though it was difficult at, at certain times growing up, I remember growing up thinking, I'm going to do that one day. And so it is hard. But if you and I are willing to embrace both the, the challenges and the joys of remarkable compassion, if we can embrace both the pain and the pleasure, right, both the joy and the cross of it, it's incredible to think about the impact that we can have. And that brings me to my third and final uh, core belief, and that's this. Uh, I want to throw it out there because I'm going to forget the wording. Uh, last one. All right. Our investment in the lives of the vulnerable will bring long-term impact. Okay? That's our third core belief. Our investment in the lives of the vulnerable will bring long-term impact. So even if you don't have any idea about child welfare or trauma or anything, you can probably guess that children who grow up without a stable, healthy environment, they're far more susceptible to all kinds of other, other issues as they get older. So for example, the FBI did a study a few years ago that said that 60%, 60% of the children that they rescued from human trafficking here in the States spent time in foster care. 60%. Half of the kids if, 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 who age out of the system without getting placed into a loving, stable home, half will be unemployed by the mid-20s, a third will be on the streets, more than half will have, a, have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. You're actually more likely to get PTSD as a foster child than you are as a war veteran. So I, I, and I could just keep rolling off the stats from teen pregnancy and domestic violence and incarceration and so on. Right? You are far more susceptible to all kinds of these issues. And so what we began to realize was like we need groups and churches and individuals that are going to address these issues like homelessness and unemployment and teen pregnancy and lack of education like right when people are in the thick of it right we need people in santa cruz working with the homeless population we need people in, in, in st james park in my neck of the woods and in the tenderloin in san francisco working with the homeless population we need ijm knocking down doors and rescuing men and women who are being trafficked today Right? We need people addressing those things. But what if, in addition to that, we also go all the way upstream and we care for these kids before they ever enter into the issues? So what, what would the landscape of the Bay Area look like in 10 or 15 years if every single child that entered into foster care today was immediately placed into a loving home? How would that change the landscape of the Bay Area? So we have this like, dream that one day there's going to be a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids in need of a home. And that the church will be on the front lines. Yes. And that the church will once again be known as the community, the place where abused and neglected kids are cared for as beloved sons and daughters. Like that's the vision. And we're seeing churches step forward. And I believe that God might have a handful of you, like he might be stirring in you to get involved and be a part of that in some way. So I'm gonna tell you a couple of the key ways where you can actually do that, take a step to be a part of that. I'm gonna invite you first to watch this quick uh, video with me. Statistically, I'm supposed to be dead, in jail, or homeless. You see, as a foster kid, my odds were already pretty bleak. About 30% of foster kids end up homeless. Less than 3% will go on to earn a college degree. And only about half will be gainfully employed by the time they turn 24. Yet, here I am. Why? All because of Rodney. Let me tell you about Rodney. You see, I spent three years trying to get kicked out of Rodney's foster home, and I'll be honest, I did everything I could think of, and I am a fairly creative guy. Uh, my most notable stunt was I opened up a checking account, 
and then I proceeded to write $10,000 worth of bad checks. I actually got picked up by the police for that little brilliant stunt. But what Rodney did was interesting. I remember after allowing me to spend the night in jail, he bailed me out the next morning, and I thought for sure that was going to be it, that this guy was going to give up on me. But Rodney sat me down and he said, Josh, you know, you can keep causing problems, but you've got to realize, son, we don't see you as a problem. We actually see you as an opportunity. You see, Rodney didn't see what was on the surface. Right, this kid who was being a nuisance, this kid who was a, a troublemaker, or some might even say a lost cause. He saw what I could be. And that moment was my turning point. My turning point from being an inevitable statistic to who I am today, all because of one caring adult. You see, every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. So let me be frank with you. You, watching this video right now, you could be the very reason one of these kids doesn't end up a statistic. Foster the Bay is focused on providing a loving home for every single kid in the foster care system. Now they do this in two ways. Number one, by recruiting foster parents. Maybe that's something you're interested in. And they do this secondly, by recruiting individuals to support these foster parents. Maybe that's something you're interested in. You see, these support teams, they come alongside the foster families as they care for these kids. Because of Rodney, my life was genuinely, drastically, forever changed. And with Foster the Bay's model, all of us can be Rodney, either as a foster parent or as a member of that support team for the foster parents. Either way you look at it, you could be that Rodney. You could be that one caring adult in a kid's life that forever changes his life. To learn more, check out fosterthebay.org slash get involved. Well, I do hope that God is stirring in some of your hearts um, and maybe learning how, how you might get involved. For a handful of you, maybe one or two of you, that might actually mean opening up your home to a child in need or a sibling set in need. Um, if that's you today, I, I want to encourage you to take the next step. Um, simply take the step to learn and get some more information. For most of you, that's probably not what God's calling you to do. But for a couple of you, that might be what he's leading you to do. For the rest of us, so I hope that you see that there is a significant way that you can get involved. One of the reasons why there's such a shortage of foster homes is because retention of foster parents is actually so low. So there, a, a new study recently came out that said that 60% Upwards of 60% across the of foster families across the country won't make it past their first year. So after their first year, 60% of the foster families let their license lapse. Um, because it's really hard. We, we, we already talked about that a little bit today. Because it's really difficult. But do you know what changes that? Do you know what changes the retention numbers? Is if a foster family takes their journey within the context of covenanted community. If they have support around the people providing emotional, practical, spiritual support. And so we, we, our, our hope and our prayer coming into the, even as I was driving over the hill this morning, I was just praying, God, we'd love to see one family step forward at Santa Cruz Baptist and a team of four support friends that would come around them. That's, that's our prayer today. We'd love to see 
family stepping forward in a couple of different roles, foster family support friends. If you're interested in learning more about that, I'll encourage you to take a step to get involved as well. A support friend is just somebody who says, I care every bit as much about these kids. I'm just not at a season of life when I can personally open up my home, but I can support somebody who can. So I can bring a meal a couple times a month. I could babysit once or twice a month. I could uh, pray regularly. I could send texts. I could be there and stand for that. One of our foster families um, sends a cleaner to our house once a month, right? It's awesome. Okay, so um, there's all kinds of ways that you can come in and provide tangible, practical support to a family to help them kind of relieve some of that burden so that they know that they're not alone in this journey. Um, if, that's, if you're interested in learning any, you know, about any, yeah, any role, any, any information, I want to encourage you to, in the back, back table there, there are these next step cards. Fill this out before the day is done. Um, write this right, right there. And on the bottom, make sure that you let us know what time to drop your foster kid off to your house this afternoon. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you fill this out, all we're going to do is we're going to send you an email with um, some information about an upcoming interest meeting happening right here at Santa Cruz Baptist. So where you can learn some more. All right, I'm, I'm probably well, well over my time. Let me just close with this. I began by telling you what the word compassion meant. I'll just close by telling you what the word remarkable means. All right, so about remarkable compassion. Remarkable means you're able to remark on it. That's what remarkable means. You're able to remark. In other words, it's worth talking about. The life of compassion that God is calling us into is a life of compassion that's worth talking about. Matthew 5, it says, let your light shine before others that they might see your deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. In other words, we're living in such a way that the watching world would look and it would cause them to respond in some way. That's the kind of life that God's calling us into. So regardless of what the expression is, if it's foster care or something else, if it's just loving your neighbor well, are you living in such a way that it's causing others to look and to respond? Can I pray first?